Our Bible reading this morning comes from Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May God bless his word to us. Amen. Gone in the bleak, dragging on forever. Not enough in a day, too much on our hands. Time. Run off our feet, left twiddling our thumbs. So busy we spin our wheels, how vast the stretching silence sometimes. Time. Don't run out of it. Don't waste it. Don't watch it. Only it will tell. Time. God of eternity, all time is in your hands and so are we. Thank you for the beauty you show us, the love you shower on us, the while we while away. Help us to cherish the time we have with each other. Gone in a blink, it will not come again, so teach us never to take it for granted. When we can sit and soak up the laughter of our loved ones, keep us still. When we can learn something new, don't let us be so busy we miss our moment. When we can make someone's day, don't let us be too preoccupied with tomorrow. God of eternity, all time is in your hands. And so are we. Let's stand and sing together, dear Lord and Father of mankind.
So it's now about a quarter past eleven. This time tomorrow, in the morning, where will you be? What will you be doing? At this time tomorrow, or maybe at some other point during the day, who are you likely to meet? Suppose you get into a conversation with someone at work, if you're allowed to do that at work these days. Or you bump into someone you know outside your home, or maybe at the shops or wherever, and you pass the time of day together and talk about the weather. They say to you, something happened to me the other day, made me stop and think. You go to church, don't you? What's this religious thing all about? And out of the blue, they put you on the spot. What would you say? How would you answer? Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. What does that mean in practice? If food is seasoned with salt, it tastes good. It's not bland or insipid. If our words are seasoned with salt, that means that what we say will be worth listening to. It will be imbued with wisdom and with grace. For that to be the case, if we're talking about our faith, what we say will need to make sense. And it should come out of a deep well of understanding of what our faith entails and of personal devotion to Christ. What does Jesus mean to you? And how would you put that into a few succinct, well-chosen words? When you get home, think about what you might say. Because if someone does start such a conversation with you tomorrow, then you will have an idea of how to respond. And it's not easy. I don't find it easy, and I'm a minister, it's my job. And I know how easy it is for my mind just to go blank when I'm put on the spot about anything. But hey, when I read Colossians, I'm encouraged to to see that Paul didn't find it easy either. And he could be pretty outspoken when it came to sharing his faith. But look at what he writes in Colossians 4. Pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. While I'm in prison, pray that I might be able to be a good witness and I might be able to speak about my faith with clarity and with conviction. Paul asks for prayer because he didn't always find it easy. So if you struggle to explain your faith, be encouraged, you are in very good company. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Just because we find it difficult, it doesn't mean that we're free simply to duck out of the challenge. Christ calls us all to be his witnesses. And if someone starts such a conversation with you tomorrow, it would be good to say, oh, thank you, Lord, rather than, oh, no. As opportunities come to share our faith, we should be ready and prepared, even eager, perhaps, to take them. Because we've got a faith that's worth sharing. And it's no good leaving it up to me and Jack as ministers. True, years of training might mean that we have a good idea of what we're talking about, but the plain fact of the matter is that you 
have more credibility than we do. I was discouraged to find that an Ipsos Mori poll conducted last year shows that people are more likely to trust their hairdresser than a member of the clergy when it comes to telling the truth. Such is the desperately low level of confidence in the church. In terms of trustworthiness, church ministers languish in eighth place behind doctors, teachers, judges, scientists, hairdressers, the police, ordinary members of the public. So while I can draw some comfort from the fact that we are more trusted than politicians, estate agents and journalists, (laughs) that really isn't saying very much. The man or the woman in the street carries more credibility than I do, which is a bit discouraging when it's my job to share God's truth. But the bottom line is that the most credible witnesses for Jesus today are not the people who work full-time for the church. The most credible witnesses are you. Ordinary people who have a personal faith in him. And for that reason, there has never been a more important time for people to be confident in talking about what they believe. So if it comes to sharing your faith, if you have more credibility than I have, it would seem that my role should be that of supporting you and enabling you and praying for you so that you can express it clearly as God wants you to. One of the reasons we may find it difficult to be upfront about what we think and believe as Christians is that there is simply so much else going on in our lives. We haven't got the mental capacity to cope with it all. Those of us who don't work with high-powered computers know that the processor struggles if you have lots of applications open at the same time. It churns away for a while, struggling to summon up the document or whatever it is you want to read so that you can work on it. And that's how it is for us in modern life. There is so much else going on. So many priorities juggling and competing for space in our mental in our space in our schedule and for mental space in our minds. It's hard to access whatever you need at the drop of a hat. If you're thinking about something else and somebody asks you about your faith, oh my word, where do I access that store of information? Because we operate under so many pressures all the time, it is perhaps too easy for our Christian faith to get filed away somewhere relatively inaccessible in our minds, while we get on with what we perceive to be the real business of earning a living, or just making it from one end of the pressured week to the next. And if that is how life is for us, we may well feel that Paul is being totally unrealistic, when in addition to exhorting us to be ready to give a coherent answer to anyone who asks about our faith, he also says we should be continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We may just feel that that is asking too much. In effect, he's saying that all the time we should be busily engaged in prayer, devoted to prayer, constantly persevering in prayer. How does that equate with our busy 21st century lifestyles? Well, clearly he does not expect people to be shut away in a prayer room on their knees 24-7, focusing on God to the exclusion of everyone and everything else. Nor does he expect us to spend every waking moment down at church filling the days with solid intercession. Clearly praying all the time does not mean withdrawing from the world, 
Because at the same time as exhorting us to pray continuously, he also expects us to be available and accessible to anyone who wants to ask about the faith. So clearly he does not envisage a kind of scenario where people come into just one of two categories. Either the quiet, private, contemplative, praying type, or the extrovert, confident, outgoing, witnessing type. As we reflect on who we are and our personality type, each of us would probably locate ourselves somewhere on a scale between these two extremes. But Paul wants to have his cake and eat it. Pray all the time and be ready to witness all the time. Be confident both in talking to God in prayer and in talking about God in conversation. He wants us to be good communicators both on the vertical axis between us and God and also on the horizontal axis between each other. And to some extent the two go hand in hand. Our conversations are far more likely to be full of grace and seasoned with salt if we enter them in a state of prayerful openness to Christ, asking him to enable us to listen with sensitivity to what the other person says, asking him to give us wisdom in formulating our replies. If, through prayer, the Spirit of God has control of our tongues, then we are correspondingly less likely to say anything harsh or tactless or unloving. If you are a Christian, then Christ lives in you by his Spirit. And he knows and loves whoever it is that you're talking to. How does that find expression in your conversation? How much of Christ do they see in you, not just by what you say, but by how you say it? And what does it mean to be watchful in prayer? The imagery is that of being vigilant, alert and on guard. If we're keeping watch, what are we looking for? To my mind, one of the things it might mean is that all the time we should be looking to make prayerful connections between what we're doing, between what we see going on around us, between the people and situations we encounter, between all these things and God. Be vigilant on God's behalf in the situations you enter. That might simply be a swift prayer for God's help as you face a difficult meeting. It might be praying long and hard for that person who's so hard to work with. It might be asking for wisdom and guidance in the difficult decisions you have to make. Just a knowledge of God's presence with you, governing your mind and your heart, being your help and your shield. It might mean praying for wisdom for our politicians as you read the news. Protection and vigilance for our police and security services. Help for those in schools and hospitals and the armed forces as they face the impossible task of balancing the books. But whatever crosses your mind in what we mistakenly think is the real world, whatever weighs on your heart, whatever crosses your path, lift it to God in prayer. Be vigilant in terms of being prayerful about the things that matter to you. And that will help keep your faith at the forefront of your mind if that unexpected conversation comes up tomorrow morning. Because you won't have fallen into the trap of segregating your Sunday persona from your Monday persona. You are allowing an awareness of the presence of God to infuse every part of your life.
And that's important because, quite frankly, if our faith has no relevance outside of Sunday mornings, it really isn't worth very much at all. But it can be helpful to develop a kind of rhythm of taking a moment or a while to commit yourself into God's hands before you face whatever comes up next in your intro. Breathing in the Spirit of Christ so you have the resources to give out to whatever it is that you face. That can help prevent your life from spiralling out of control as you end up being driven by the demands of the immediate and the urgent. Being still prevents that happening. Jesus said, didn't he, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. That works for time and priorities as much as anything else. I've always found that making Jesus my priority has helped helped me prioritise all the other things that matter. And we're told to be thankful. We can be thankful in prayer because whatever we face, we don't face it alone. God is with you. And he is faithful and loving and gracious. His infinite resources of grace are available to you 24-7 and we can be glad of that and grateful for it. I know that some of you might be sitting there thinking it was alright for him, talking about prayer like that. He's working for God. But I would want to say very clearly that all work is God's work. All work is God's work. Whatever we do, we offer it to him as an act of worship. Whatever we say, we look to say it in a way that honours him. It comes back to our conversation being seasoned with salt. That imagery may in part be drawn from Exodus 30, where God says that the incense to be used in the tabernacle is to be blended by the perfumer, and like every sacrifice, it is to be seasoned with salt. It's all part of making whatever we do, whatever we say, however we say it, an act of worship. Offering it to God. Offering him the whole of our life. Dedicating ourselves to the God who has redeemed us, and to whom we belong for eternity. Jesus isn't just for Sunday mornings and then for heaven when we die. He is for the whole of life. Part of every day. Part of everything we do. Part of every conversation that we have. And because that is the case, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, in this coming week, Govern our hearts. Be at the forefront of our minds. Keep us from locking you away in some little compartment and getting on with our lives without you. Help us do what we do and do it well. Be part of every encounter that we have. 
Make us aware of your presence with us, your sovereignty over the situations we encounter, your spirits giving us the words to say. This is the day that you have made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it and to serve you in it. Because you are our God, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Friend. Amen.